Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your adventure books and conversations, ABCs from 11,000 feet in the beautiful Eastern Sierra. And I am Christopher, one of the co-hosts, and with me is... I am Stace, and we have with us our producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Doug's in the Doug echo Doug has had too much coffee today. <laughs> or else he's falling down like Wile E. Coyote down a, totally. down a chasm, and we yes. hear... That's the way it is. Yeah, that's kind of mentally falling down the chasm. <laughs> how are you doing, Doug? How was your week? Busy, but good. Good. Yeah, how could it not be good in this weather and this? Oh, oh isn't it beautiful? It is so pretty. It is. It really, really, I've, really. I know. Really I've. Nice. I've talked too much already this season of how much this is my favorite time of year. So. Well, you know, today is November first, so we hope everyone had a happy and safe Halloween. Yes. And Emphasis on safe. Safe. Please, yes, because uh, we're recording it ahead of time, so we're just taking the gamble here. Right. Happy Dia de los Muertos for those of you who celebrate, yep. um, and for all of you going to mass today. Happy All Saints Day. <laughs> Stacy says with a sigh of conviction. Enjoy your day off of school, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, this episode does come out just after Halloween. We recorded it a little bit before, yep. and actually our adventure is Halloween-related, right? It is, yeah, because we we took a little trip together to Bishop, which is in Inyo County, just a little down the highway from mm-hmm. where we're recording, and went to the FFA Halloween Pumpkin Patch. Go Future Farmers of America. Yes. It was quite a... They had quite a, a, a spread, and... I mean, it was really, we had never been before. It was really something. Yeah, I was really impressed Me too. all the variety of things. They had, you know, the pumpkins, of course, out in a massive patch yep. and good pumpkins too. Really, all different colors and sizes and shapes and right. yeah, they had a great variety. I think we had our pumpkins picked in like 10 minutes, we, which was amazing. We did. And and they, they had somebody come, a, you know, nice young person with a big wheelbarrow to carry all of the pumpkins over to the checkout area, which was very, and then take them to your car. That was decadent. I thought that was very nice. I've never had that at a pumpkin patch before. But it was great. They had the corn maze, mm-hmm. they had food, they had They had the big blow-up-y slides that little kids Bouncy can go. Slides. Yeah, and they had lots of farm animals. Yeah. We, we took some pictures of turkeys. Yeah. They had some very interesting turkeys. There were turkeys and chickens. They yeah. were beautiful. They're, it was, well, it's Future Farmers of America, right? right? These yes. are kids raising animals, among other things, um, as part of this program, which is, you know, a nationwide program. You know, my brother was a Future Farmer of America, raised Love pigs. That. You know, it's, it's, it's such an important part of the area around here. Absolutely. And, you know, there we used to have in our county uh, a charter school out in Benton at mm-hmm. the, the Edna Beeman campus. Mm-hmm. And, on Highway 6? Yes, right off of Highway 6. And they had many of the kids that went to that charter school were FFA kids. Yeah. And they all lived in the, the farms in Shelfont and the in Benton area and... They, it was really cool what they did, and it's a great program for kids. Yeah, so, so. it was nice to support that program mm-hmm. as part of 
the the pumpkin patch. Absolutely, it was. I real I realized how you know it made me again more sad that my kids are grown and <laughs> you know we of course Tessa came with us because mm-hmm. you know, she wanted to pick out her pumpkins even though she's seventeen. But mm-hmm. you know I said, oh, do you want to go down the bouncy slide or do you want to go in the corn maze? And no. <laughs> you know, so you know those on, those times have flown those by, have flown. and you know, I, I was not going to go on the bouncy slide <laughs> by myself. So, but you know, what was nice is that you know, I think we both took photos. I Instagrammed yeah. a couple of posts, and I heard back from so many people. Who's like, oh yeah, I went too. I was there too, and people from far flung parts of Mono County yeah. drove down to pick absolutely, out and so. we we saw quite a few friends there, mm-hmm. people that we knew, and um, it was great. And the inter the great thing too was that they had so many pumpkins it was a two-day event yeah and we went towards the end of the day on saturday and they you know they still had like a lot of pumpkins for sunday so it was a great selection you know it's it's just a great you had talked about doing a pumpkin patch in nevada on an earlier episode you know i think a lot of our listeners do this you know it's a it's a nice community oriented Mm -hmm. thing to go pick out a pumpkin and it's become like little events i know big trees in chalfont valley also had a patch that weekend um and it's just you know kind of a nice thing to do and it was very it was it was it was kind i was it was on the small side it was very community based and you knew that everything that you purchased, you know, I bought some raffle tickets, Mm -hmm. which I did not win, but that's okay. Um, And, you know, all the the proceeds from the pumpkins all were going back to the FFA and to the schools, which was really great. And it's just was such a homey, comforty family feeling and, you know, when you go down to the bigger communities down south, they, mm-hmm. you know, you see the huge pumpkin patches that are, you know, miles right. <laughs> in space. And, you know, they have all the all the games and all, you know, this and that. But it just doesn't have the same, you know, small town feeling. No, no, it doesn't. I, if there's the only criticism I have of the whole thing was out of their control completely. I'm used to going to picking a pumpkin in the Northeast and it's chilly and you get your right. hot your, cider and your flannel. And your flannel. And, yeah. We were having a mini heat wave that weekend. It was like 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> That was the only thing that felt out of joint, but that's no one's fault. That's no. just the way it was this year. So it was it was awesome. We it had a good it time. was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to next year. Even though I will be a empty nester, I'm still going to go <laughs> buy my pumpkins. Awesome. So and maybe you can win something in the raffle next year. I'm going to keep trying. Well, listeners, uh, stay tuned next year to see what happens <laughs> in that episode. Um, or, you know what? Stay tuned for the next segment of the episode. We're going to talk about some awesome books. All right? We'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome, listeners, to the book portion of our podcast. And I'm so excited about what we're talking about today because if you listen to the podcast, you know I like TikTok. And so on TikTok, this is true, 
on this app, TikTok, mm-hmm. they have people who talk about books. Of course. Like we do, but they they also have this topic that they introduce where they say, this is a book I wish I could read again for the first time. I love that topic. And so I said to Christopher, we should have this topic. And you love the topic. It's like the sliding doors for books. It's so true. And, you know, we've already had a conversation about what would be the book that we would wish we could read again for the first time. And there's actually so many. Oh, my gosh. It's really hard. And I have not, typically before, as we prep for these shows, these podcasts, we talk, we tell each other, you know, what we're talking about. We share our notes. So we, we Mm -hmm. are somewhat prepared. Today, I did not share my book with Christopher. So he's totally in the dark. So I'm really excited because this is nothing like what I told him were my favorite books. I'm so excited. So to keep everybody in more suspense, I'm going to throw it to Christopher so he could share with us what is the book you pick that you wish you could read for the first time again. And can I just say it again, Stace, how hard, unexpectedly difficult this right? topic is. I hope our listeners are feeling kind of something similar. I was like, this is like looking back on my dating history and seeing like, who would I date again for the first time? I mean, yeah. it's really <laughs> like... Once you start thinking about it and going back and looking at your home bookshelves with the books you've kept and why, right. and oh my gosh, but it has been fun. And I'm really mostly anxious to hear yours and then our listeners, because I think our listeners yes. will have some really good titles to talk about here. You know, there's some obvious ways. My, my mind went 20 different directions. Mm-hmm. One, like, you know, there are some great books out there with really great plot twists, like Never Let Me Go by Katsuo Ishiguro, where it's mm-hmm. like, it's a twist, like halfway through the book that is so delicious. Like, I wish I could experience that again. Right. And other books that like, when I was young, that influenced us, like yes. the Wizard of Oz series, mm-hmm. like all those wonderful yep. things. This is where I learned world building and fantasy and mm-hmm. that books could be based on movies. I wish I could have that again. But I did end up arriving at one for this week. I mean, if yeah. we do this again, I could do this episode we, I, twenty we times. Should, over. I know we should like do it once a year or something because <laughs> it's so there's so many. So my pick for the book I wish I could read again for the first time is by Marcus Zuzak. It's the Book Thief, which probably a number of our listeners already will have read. If not, go out and pick it up from the library today. We have it in our libraries. It came out in 2005. It was adapted into film. Some people will recognize a few years later. And Zuzak himself is a well-known Australian author of young adult books. And he's won numerous it's awards. Such a, it's such a good book. It is. It's a tremendous <laughs> yeah. book. It is, you know, just real quick summary for those of you who are unfamiliar with it. It's a coming of age story of a young German girl named Liesel living with a foster family during World War II and experiencing all that the Germans, the average everyday Germans experienced during that time. The Nazis insidious takeover of everyday power, even in small towns like where she lived. Anti-Semitism being more out in the open, you know, brothers and fathers and, you know, uncles going off to war, streets being bombed, losing family members, um, watching Jewish neighbors rounded up and marched off to their deaths, you know, hiding a fugitive in their basement. And then on her own, Liesel goes through this process of learning how to read and discovering the power of the very same books that the Nazis are piling up on the streets to burn. So it's also this story about storytelling and Liesel learning to write her own story, which is literally part of the novel. That's the summary of the novel. And that, what I just said in like 15 seconds is really heavy, right? It's, you know, I cried 
so hard reading this book, like at multiple times. It was so profound. It's a really profound book. And I did too. And I'm mm-hmm. going to get to that in a second. <laughs> because a lot of people cried. That's why so many people were recognized. A right. lot of people cried at this yep. book. We should say it in the States, it was marketed as a young adult book. He's a young adult writer. In Australia, curiously, it was marketed as an adult book. And in fact, the stats so far of people who've read it in the States, have, it's been mostly read by adults, like 75%. It was a big book club. Yeah. Like every book club that I knew was reading this book when it came out. Because it it was so juicy. Yeah. It was so So much to unpack. Right? You know, Liesl is going through this coming of age Mm -hmm. process during this book. And of course, during war, world war, you come of age really quickly, right? Yep. Um, And then there was this other character. There are a number of characters in the book. The the one that kind of parallels Liesl is the character of death. Mm, He creates this kind of... It's kind of like magical realism or something like that, where he he creates this this character that oversees everything. And, Isn't and he the narrator? Kind he is of? the narrator yeah. of of the book. So uh, let me talk about him first, because the atmosphere setting and the character building of this book are one of the reasons that I want to read it again for the first time. We actually meet Death first. Mm-hmm, he right. opens the book. He is the narrator, and we learn early on it's not a threatening, evil character. Rather, he's a very gentle collector of souls who has empathy and love for humans as it as you know he tries to understand them in fact there's a quote somewhere in the book where it said you know even death has a heart and this mm-hmm. character you know demonstrates that and he opens this book by introducing himself in a very quiet way that sets a tone and i'll just read that as two sentences i could introduce myself properly but it's not really necessary you will know me well enough and soon enough depending on a diverse range of variables it suffices to say that at some point in time i will be standing over you as genially as possible. Your soul will be in my arms. A color will be perched on my shoulder. I will carry you gently away. That's death, you know? Yeah. And it's beautiful. And Zuzak struggled. You know, I read a few interviews Mm -hmm. with him. He struggled with this character because it's like, how do you present (laughs) something like this? Until he realized that death was just as tired and afraid and haunted as everyone else who was experiencing war. You know, it was so powerful. And there's one segment, I'm not going to read this part out loud, further into the book where um, Zuzak has death describe the gathering of the souls of Jews as they die in a gas chamber that take, you know, he's taking the most horrific act of this war a writer could tackle. Mm-hmm. And he, he describes it with such beauty and pathos that I guarantee you, after reading this short paragraph, you will put the book down and close your eyes. Yeah. Right, yep. it's that kind of book. Yeah, you had you definitely needed to take little breaks as you were, just because it was a lot. It was a lot, and it was beautiful. It was, writing be- was, it was beautiful. beautiful. I don't know how the narrators got through it because I just teared up like every other page, and it's a five hundred <laughs> right. page book. Yeah. I was bone dry by the end yeah. of this book. Um, the other thing I will say about it is I think it's the first book for me personally that I had read that was completely set behind quote-unquote enemy lines in World War II mm. from the German perspective. Mm-hmm. I'd read yeah. a lot of spy novels and everything, you know, thing. but this is the one where the character is is completely behind the lines. And, you know, these things are happening to her. There's at one point where they shelter a, a fugitive Jew right. named Max, and he mm-hmm. lives in their basement for a right. while. He bonds with the young Liesel, helping right. teach her how to read. read. He writes mm-hmm. books for her. And that itself is just such a beautiful period of hope and creativity in this book. It also brings tears to your eyes. And then, 
you know, this theme of Liesl learning how to read and her later on borrowing and even stealing, stealing books. Right. It's a constant um, theme of this book as she determines as well that she's going to write her own story. As she's learning to read and write, she's yeah. going to put down in her own words what's happening to her. So she creates this manuscript. And the author, Zuzak, says she is learning her learning to read and to love books and to read them aloud to the neighbors as they're sitting in the bomb shelters during air raids to calm them down, that this is an act of her stealing the words back. That Hitler and the Nazis were using words to spread evil right, and to brainwash people. And this was a small act of resilience and rebellion, taking the words back and making them beautiful. It almost, that hearing that almost makes the title seem like a double entendre, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, there's not a pat ending to this book. It's a book about war right. and, and people's experience during war. So it's kind of messy. Those of us who grew up with people who experienced this, I think all three of us have people who experienced this, understand people from that war. Right. They just got on with life if they survived. Um, and, you know, if they lived to an old age, they, you know, they forever carried scars, but they tended to carry them inside. Right. You know, my yep. grandfather never talked about it. Um, and this is reflected in the final portions of the book. Um, you know, the book's about 20 years old, so I'm just going to yeah. tell you, Liesl dies at the end, but she dies as an old woman right. having migrated to Australia. Yeah. And one of the most beautiful parts of this book is death comes for her, right? Right. To, to collect her soul. And when he does, he brings her manuscript that she had left with him as a little girl. Mm-hmm back to her. Yeah. And she asks him, did you read it? And there's a little exchange there. And then he kind of closes the book. I think the final sentence of the book, if I'm correct, is I am haunted by humans because mm-hmm. he's trying to understand them. And you've just read 500 pages right. of the most beautiful tearjerker writing. Mm-hmm. And you are on your third Kleenex box. And then you read that <laughs> right. sentence. And you fall apart all over again. you fall apart all over again. It is just a beautiful, beautiful book. Zuzak himself Himself tells you know that you know whenever he talks about this book or at book signings, people talk about how they cry with yeah. this book. But it's not a cry crying because the book is depressing, right? It's the beauty of it. It's, it's the, the beauty. beauty of the language. It's the beauty of the story and the characters. They just touch your soul. They really do. They really, really do. It's that kind of tearjerker. Yeah. And I will say, it, it certainly affected me when I first wrote it read it. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I can't remember if I said this story on this podcast before. When I lived in New York, there was a thing called World Book Night where you know libraries and bookstores would give out free copies of special editions from publishers to random people on the street wow. you know, to promote books once a year. And they, this is a very popular thing in Europe. We were trying to get it going in the States. Uh-huh. And so the book I chose one season was The Book Thief. Oh. It had just come out. <laughs> and it's a 500-page book. Yeah. It's a doorstop. And here I was at 5 o'clock on New York... <laughs> Streets, trying to hand it out to people who just wanted to get home and cook dinner and take their shoes off. Yeah. I learned a hard lesson there. But I still, you know, it's a book that I, if you stand still for two minutes yeah. and ask me about it, I will convince you to read it. Yeah. I think, Stace, you've read it. So you yep. would probably say something similar. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've read it. My daughters have read it. It, You know, we all had the same reaction to it. Um, you know, it's a favorite in our house for sure. Yeah, it's a keeper on our shelves at home too. So this is The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. That's the book I would read over again for the first time if I could turn back time. I was also kind of younger at the time. I like to have the waistline and the hair that I had back then. (laughs) 
but Stace, I am really intrigued okay. by the book you have yet to tell me about. What would you read again for well, the first time? So we when we when we were talking about this segment and you know, I had first come up with, oh, you know, Little House on the Prairie, um, and uh, you know, the Little Women. Those were books that I read when I was, you know, a young kid, and right. I loved that they transported me to other settings that were so different yeah. from my life, and I loved the idea of how cool would it be to live in a little, you know, log home in the middle of a prairie and, you know, not have peanut butter in the cabinet, you know? So that was where I was going first. Mm -hmm. But then I came home from work one night and I saw this book that I'm going to talk about sitting on the counter Mm -hmm. and because I had given it to my husband. Mm. And so I said, did you start reading it yet? And he said, no, he hadn't. I was like, oh, you're missing out because it is just the best book. And then I decided, I knew I had to talk about The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. That is a great pick. Oh, Stace, you one-upped me. I I don't know if I one-upped you because The Book Thief was really good. And this couldn't be more different. It is very different, I will say. But I I applaud the choice. Thank you. And we've uh, we've actually talked about this book on the podcast before. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to be reiterative of what we've already said. But Mm -hmm. this book was written by Eric Larson. It was published in 2003. So it's been around a while. It It tells two stories, actually. It juxtaposes the creation and building and implementation, if you will, of the 1893 Chicago World's Fair with one of the very first serial killers in of of record, of of known record. (laughs) Can you just just stop and pause and just like ruminate like on like I'm an author and I'm what what should I write about? You know what, let's talk about the World's Fair and a serial killer. I'm so glad that you bring that up (laughs) because I thought the same thing. And so I did a little research and I I saw I found an interview that Eric Larson did in about 2016 with the mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal. And the question exactly asked was, how did you come up with with this? Right. And so first of all, I have to say Eric Larson is really funny really cool, really down to earth guy for somebody who writes books that are so well researched and so document such minute points in history. And he's, but he's real. he doesn't come across that. Um, he doesn't come across like that. Yeah. You know, he's just comes across like a regular guy, a normal guy, not someone who's pedantic. Exactly. Yeah. And doesn't, you know, he doesn't use big fancy words right. and you know, in the, the interview that I saw, it was actually a live interview it was on taped on and it was on YouTube. He actually tells the audience, well, this is quite a big story. So maybe you should go get a beer and then come back. <laughs> I like an and author like I that. I was like, Oh, I'm hooked. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on this, but he he told the story of how he he had just finished a book mm-hmm. and he didn't know what he was going to do next. Mm-hmm. You know, he really was at odds. He wasn't sure. He lives in Seattle mm-hmm. and he had kind of no idea what he was going to write about. And he went to an encyclopedia of murder that he found in the library. Of course. And that was where he found Holmes. Holmes mm. is, the, is the serial killer in The Devil in the White City. And, um, 
he was kind of like, yeah, you know, it doesn't really do anything for me. He's, you know, mm-hmm. not that exciting or whatever. And he kind of put that away. And then he still was at, uh, at a loss for what to write about. And he's just randomly started reading about the 1893 World's Fair. And what caught him, this is really funny, what caught his attention about this is that this is where Juicy Fruit Gum was first introduced <laughs> at the 1893 World's Fair. And you can still and, get it today. And the, the Wrigley's are famously from Chicago, right? right? So he said <laughs> that this would not normally be a thing, like who cares? Right. But he said he loves to chew Juicy Fruit Gum. Because <laughs> it tastes like it's from the 1893 it's so disgusting. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, I'm a spear, I'm a Wrigley Spearmint person myself, but (laughs) so he, he was drawn into this idea that the 1893 world's fair, they were introducing juicy fruit gum and shredded wheat and the Ferris wheel and, you know, all of these things. And that's when he decided that he would tell these two stories that were happening simultaneously. Right. Blocks away from each other. Right. And then he said that he was really afraid that when all was said and done and he was getting ready to send the book to his publisher, that he's like, I'm going to get killed by the reviewers because at no point in the book do the two stories intersect. Intersect. Correct. They're just parallel. Right. But, you know, for me... I was so drawn into both stories. You know, usually usually for me, and I don't know, Christopher, or listeners, if this happens to you, but when there are multiple storylines in mm-hmm. a book, I always find myself drawn to one. Mm-hmm. And I really just, like, I'll read the others, but I really just want to read yeah, that it's, one. It's the empathy thing. Who do you connect with? Exactly. Yeah. In this book, I was captivated by both stories. I didn't, you know, I didn't care when he flipped from one to the other because I wanted to know what was going to happen next in both so stories. So why, why was that? You know, I think the writing is so good, you know, and the way he draws you in. So, you know, tell, you know, he gets you, he starts out talking about Henry Holmes, mm-hmm. you know, what his youth was like mm-hmm. and how he grew up. And, and with the World's Fair, he starts with Daniel Burnham, right? right? Who's going to be the architect of this right. massive project and then working with the bureaucracy of Chicago and, you know, somebody who grew up there and had a dad who dealt with city government all the time. I know what that's like. Um, and you, you know, I had a similar reaction when I read it in the sense that, I don't read true crime. I'm, you know, I read in cold blood, but you Mm -hmm. know, beyond that, I'm not a true, a lot of people love true crime. So Henry Holmes' story would never have appealed to me, but this is a classic case of you got your peanut butter in my chocolate, right? I would totally (laughs) have read a book about the history of the world's fair. And so he places the two next to each other and got me like you, it got me interested in Henry Holmes as well. And then his, like you Mm -hmm. described his writing, his pacing is like a thriller. He is so good. I mean, even I also read in the Garden of Beasts, mm-hmm. uh, which is a uh, story about world the prior to takes place prior to World War right. II, where the American ambassador goes over to yeah. um, to Berlin and yeah. and you know, hijinks ensue. But the you know I'm not really a war 
right. World War II war kind of person, but I loved that book. Yeah. And, and I think it is. It's his genius of, of pacing and humanizing these real nonfiction characters, these real people, making them appealing that you totally. want to keep reading about them. And giving them voice. You know, he did do two other... You talk mm-hmm. about the two parallel stories that never intersect. He did do two books following, one on the Lusitania right. and one on Marconi, and right. another escaping evil person. And in those, the pacing is very similar. I mean, he mm-hmm. kicked narrative nonfiction into a whole new level. Absolutely. And in those two books, the stories do kind of work towards each other mm-hmm. at the end. Like they do kind of converge, which is kind of delicious. But Devil in the White City set the standard. Absolutely. It's just, I... I'm so jealous that my husband, he finally did start reading it and he's really it. enjoying it, but I'm so jealous that he's having the experience of reading it right now. And, you know, I wouldn't get that, but I did find out in doing some research and there, there was an update on this just okay. a couple weeks ago that they have been trying to make this into a movie of, mm. of sorts or a television yeah. show. Of course. So Hulu... Is a thing. It's like an app. Oh, it's the app, it's, streaming app yes. kind of thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like Netflix, but it's not. And so... Um, <laughs> I think that's their tagline. <laughs> <laughs> We're not Netflix. <laughs> don't sue us, Netflix. Yeah, please, or Hulu. Don't, yeah. So anyhow, so Hulu has bought the rights to this. Awesome. And they are trying to produce a period, you know, like a serial, mm-hmm. like a short series mm-hmm. based on the book and Keanu Reeves was attached to it most awesome. recently Leonardo DiCaprio and some other guy that's famous but I don't know his name um I, you know he does a lot I know some, Swing a cat. Some, anyways Leonardo DiCaprio I guess is supposed to produce this awesome and Keanu Reeves was going to star in it, but he has left the production, as okay. had the director who was attached, has oh, no. left. So now we're, you know, waiting again. But there this was from Variety was publishing this. They're they're optimistic that because the true crime genre, yeah. if you will, is so in Vogue right now, so popular that this is going to get made at some point. But especially these deliciously atmospheric stories, yes. right? Set in a certain period where there's gaslight and fog and right. you know, drama and yes, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So I you know, I hope it does get made because I'd love to see how somebody interprets it if yeah. they do it well. If they do it well, yeah. But um, I just, this was The Devil in the White City by oh, Eric Larson. I'm I, jealous of Joe now too. I loved reading this book. So let's wrap, I'm so glad you picked this book. Thanks. So you just hit on, I think one of the things that didn't really come to my mind is I was trying to figure out why I would want to read something again for the first time. And it's that jealousy thing, right? Yeah. You see someone yeah. else reading the book and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I was in their right. shoes right now. Yeah. I mean, that it, it crystallized for me in like that instant when I was like, oh, he's going to have this great experience. And I think that's, you know, I remember we talked a little bit about this when I was teaching Mm -hmm. and I always read around Christmas time, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Mm -hmm. by Roald Dahl to my students. And as time went on, my students would 
be like, oh, we see, we've seen the movie, we've, right. you know, whether it was the old version or the new version. new version. And it hurt my heart for them that they wouldn't have, the, they didn't have the opportunity of reading those words or hearing those words read for the first time that they could picture in, picture it in their mind for, for themselves. themselves. Yeah. You know, so I think this kind of goes towards that experience of reading a book for the first time and having the experience of visualizing it for yourself and feeling all those feels. You know, I just think this was such a delightful conversation and I still have 20 books that would be number right? 2 through 20. Yeah. So listeners, I think we would love to hear from you. What books do you see other people that you're jealous of that you wish you could reread again and have that same kind of first time experience? Let us know. Hit us up at oxygen starved podcast at gmail.com via our yep. website or just through your email or on Instagram, O2 starved. We were really, really interested in hearing what titles you think hit this quality. And we will be right back with our conversation. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. Welcome back, listeners. We are here at the Sea Conversation portion of our podcast, and today we are delighted to have with us from KMMT Radio in Mammoth Lakes, John D. Maria. Welcome, John. Hello, Stacy. How are you today? Doing great, thank We're you. Really glad you made time for us today, John. Yes. One of the I'm going to just chime in already. We we have KMMT, but we also have KRHV. That's right. Right, and I'm just so proud of both of the stations for different reasons. And so. what's the difference? Well, KMMT is new music and modern classics, mm -hmm. and KRHV. I summarize it by saying music for music appreciators because you can hear Frank Sinatra and then Metallica in the same hour. Wow. Oh, so that's you, my radio station. As suggested by our listeners, we've had over 1,600 um, requests over the last four years. So that's great. It's been awesome. So yeah, both and, stations are great. And you run the whole show over there. Well, Josie B and I uh -huh. do it. Um, we have different skill sets, but okay. the same uh -huh. and the same vision. <laughs> and so uh, I'm... I reluctantly take leadership positions. <laughs> it's like maybe just time on the job. They just kind of move you through that. Uh, but for me, ultimately, um, it's a team. Yeah. You know, the hierarchy and all of that stuff. I never truly understood. I mean, somebody's got to make a dis final decision, right. I suppose. Um, but yes, we're a team. That's great. Well, take us back a little bit. And how did you come to be here in Mammoth and Mono County and at the station? Okay, well, Mammoth and the Eastern Sierra, generally speaking, I came up in, I guess, 2015 for the June Lake Jam Fest. Nice. And I came nice. as a guest with some of uh, some friends of mine who were playing the very first Jam Fest and got to meet with Janet Hunt. Mm -hmm. And the second year played and the third year played. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, 
So after the first time I came, I actually wrote a song for the band I was in at the time called Strawberry Moon called High Sierra. You know, love remains. And this is where you need to be right okay. here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess going way back, right? So 2015, 2017, 2018 rolls around and my band was kind of going through some stuff. So I left that band. I was like, what am I going to do when I grow up? Right. right. <laughs> and so Janet has become a great friend over mm-hmm. the years. and She's terrific. Yeah. And was starting to, all of the proceeds for the June Lake Jam Fest were going towards Mono Arts Council right. and their programs. Yep. So I was actually brought up as a music teacher. That was where I first met you. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I, should, I shouldn't act surprised. <laughs> I think, <laughs> Makes I, sense. I, I think I saw you via name. Yeah. Right. As possibly. opposed to meeting you yeah. in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. So I came up to teach music through mm-hmm. Mono Arts Council and then, you know, where are you going to work? And, yeah. You know, for the rest of the time. It's like, <laughs> well, the radio station, of course. And, yeah. I had, and I had done some interviews for the June Lake Jam Fest, had a program called uh, Spread the Jam, where we would oh, interview fun. the bands. And um, so she had asked me, hey, do an artist to artist because I can speak to them, speak to the artist as an artist right. just to give that perspective. And so I had already had acquaintances with the radio station because I had done that. So just a matter of, you know, let's get in, let's do this. That's awesome. And are you enjoying that this work so far? Um, as far as being, which part? Run, I mean. You know, with the, <laughs> with the radio, you know, everything that you do yeah. is, you know, is a it's different than playing in a band and being a music teacher. It is different. Um, yes, I do love it. Uh, I, I'm, I can't do anything. I'm kind of incorrigible that way. I have to do what I love to do. Mm-hmm. Or it's really difficult for me because I made that choice um, when my girls were growing up uh-huh. uh, to take the day job. And, you know, and 17 years of that, right. I realized that I have to do what I love to do. Yeah. Um, so playing music, number one, uh, but being able to play music, <laughs> number two. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just spread good vibes. Nice. Really, it's the energy. As far as the titles, yeah, like I said earlier, I, I'm just not a title person. It's mm-hmm. like, can I, what, where do I fit into this? Right. And then just run with it. Well, um, you know, I'm interested. Well, first of all, shout out to June Lake Jam Fest yes. and the Mono Arts Council. We had the ED, Kristen Reese, on just the podcast a, a couple weeks yep, ago, a couple we episodes did. ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, we should probably have Janet Held on at some point, too. Uh, can you tell us a little bit? Did you have broadcasting experience before you came up here, or is this all learned? Because I'm impressed and maybe inspired. Maybe I should go into radio. You know, it's like, <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, but yes, um, I didn't. Um, but I. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm humbly, right? I just uh, feel like I, I like to have a good time and be light about all things. And and being able to recover, I guess it's the self-confidence to say I can be in any circumstance and know that I'm still me at the right. end, mm-hmm. you know, whether I get it wrong or right. And that was really the big thing, really just kind of admitting that I have flaws. How do I recover? Right. <laughs> right. You know, or, and, and so I try it's to this day. Um, so... That's yeah. great. Is it fun? Absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. I applaud. There's so many people who come to this area with, and what they end up doing to pay their rent is so vastly different yeah. than what they did when they lived out in LA or San Francisco or New York or, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. It's inspiring. Well, do you, I'm, I'm curious to know, did you have like a preconceived notion of what it was going to be like to live here when, you know, before you came? That's a good question. I've always been an out, uh, well, as a musician, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time by myself growing, you know, th- you know, cause you have to 
you know, earn your stripes by uh, practicing your craft. So I spent a lot of time by myself and I always found myself being outside, even in Southern California, where are there are patches of outside yeah. and it, the temperature is perfect down there. So you can get out almost every day all right. year round. And so always found those patches. So when I came up here, it's like, it's everywhere. <laughs> this thing called nature. <laughs> so I just said, I, I, this is for me, really. It was right. just like, a, there was no other choice. Am I mm-hmm. going to live in Southern California, which is beautiful, right? Beaches yeah. are awesome, but temperature, you cannot beat it, I don't think. Right. But uh, the mountains and streams, you know, a, a mile off the, the main roads is, is just ridiculous. You can be there in a couple minutes. Yeah. yeah. You know, let me ask you this question. I'm, I'm still stuck on like, you know, this career you've embarked on here and the impact uh, the radio stations are having here already. Can you tell us, you know, since this is still somewhat new for you, right? A few years, what is the most unexpectedly delightful thing you discovered about doing radio? Hmm. That's a good question. I like that one. Um, what an I delightful I guess oh, there's different parts. I'm going to say that um, being able to share music mm-hmm. like every single day. Mm-hmm. I have, we have four hour shifts. I have four talking points every hour. And just being able to share little tidbits of people that either I've played with or have just experienced as a listener my mm-hmm. whole life. Is it is it a surprise? I don't know. But it's a delight every yeah. single day, every single talking point. And then knowing that my voice is heard. Right. right. And I think we all like yeah. share in that, right? We just mm-hmm. want to be able to express. And, you know, it's just really nice getting calls and seeing people out. Well, one of these great stories, I was having one of those days where, um, um, just a bad day. All right. We'll sure. just call it that. All right. So I was living out in the woods, mm-hmm. like many of us do. Mm-hmm. And I was heading out there and it was just one of those days. And somebody walks by and he says, You wave to me every morning on your way into work and you seem like a nice person. I just wanted to say hi and introduce myself. So that's great. He says, What's your name? I said, John, John D. Maria. He goes, are you John D from the radio station? <laughs> and, and I was so taken back by that because it, you know, how we can shift momentum of thought quickly, right? right. It, it goes from being horrible to, wow, I needed this yeah. little angel right now to right. say, I hear, I listen to you every day. My friends are not going to believe that I'm speaking to you right now. And right. I just was so humbled and so grateful for that moment. I, you know, the universe provides and, and, and did so during, for this, you know, through this gentleman and, uh, forever grateful. And I expect, I would anticipate you project that back, right? When right. you go to work, like you, you now have that as a responsibility, you know, your listeners and you're very careful with their time as much as your time, right? Absolutely. It is, um, that is the number one purpose, right? It's that somebody is driving right now, whether they're by themselves or they're doing honeydews or they're streaming somewhere out there in the world. It's our obligation to always project a positive message, right? Or a moment that is just lighthearted in some way. It can be factual. This song is, was created by what? This is what I find cool in it. It could be, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, you know, but it's uh, always with that emphasis of, Life is good. Yeah. We've chosen to be here on earth and let's rock it. So do you Love have it. a system? You mentioned that you have, you know, you have your, the talking points that you want to get across every day in your block of time. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a system or a way that you go about deciding what those talking points are going to be every day? 
I did in the beginning, right? Because I wasn't really shown this is how we do it. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a really a beautiful thing from a for from a radio station. You go, you can't work for CBS or one of the great radio stations without having some experience. Right. And I hadn't, so I developed like little tools where I know I have go tos. Mm-hmm. Right, like I can say that song was this next song is. Yeah, I can say thanks to our sponsors. And mm-hmm. did you know that this event was coming up? Yeah. So there's a few of those little. Um, a call letters, you know sure. what I mean? I've right. got, there's like a toolbox of, I, I don't know what to say right now. I got something, you know, right. um, you know. the quote of the day. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I do? I do the, um, like, uh, they have like national days for oh, things okay. like cupcake yeah. day or something like that. <laughs> All right. You know, so I do, I do that. I look, and I look at that every, every day is something now is I have days. realized yes. this is true. Yeah. Yes. It's an industry. <laughs> Right, and it gets it gives you birthdays like Bella Lugosi's birthday was like yesterday, okay. you know. So you know, little things like that you can throw in, and then there's a song called Bella Lugosi's Dad, and there yeah, you go, my Bauhaus. So oh, that just brought me back about twenty five, thirty years, <laughs> maybe even forty years. Gosh, how old is that song, John? I, you know what? I should know. <laughs> <laughs> Giving away my age as we often do in our conversations. I know, right, but Steve? I have never heard of that song, so I don't <laughs> know what radio station you listened to growing up. K-R-H-V. It was, it, was, it was not played on WLS in Chicago. No, it probably wasn't. Yeah, no. And it's like 11 minutes long. So. It is. Oh, my gosh. Well, John, we just talked a lot about what you do, quote, unquote, for your day job, although it sounds like it's a, it's a love affair. When you're not working at the radio, what do you do in the Eastern Sierra? What, what do you do for your off time? I still play. I still practice and I write songs. I go by, I have streams now to write every day. I've got spots now that with picnic tables and I got to dial. They're my spots. I even have like, um, like birds that are like frequent to a certain area that I've gotten to kind of become acquainted with, you know, that's great. And so, uh, that's what I do. I I play and I write songs and And you you play guitar. uh, Yes. I play, I'm a guitar player. Mm -hmm. I, I play I always find if you can press on it or blow on it or, you know, bang on it, you, you know, you, you, can fi- you can figure it out, you know. I'm not in the way in that regards, but yes, I play guitar. Okay. It's my go-to instrument. That's awesome. And you have you have family. You were talking about your daughters, daughters. before yeah. we went on air. They come visit. They, mm-hmm. they they sound like they're off doing amazing things. Oh, dude, they're, they're my pride. <laughs> they're my loves. Um yeah, for 17, 18 years, I guess, until they went to college every day. Yeah. Right? And then that was one of the reasons, too, why I came here, because they were both in college. And it's like, what am I going to do? I don't have sandwiches to make in the morning. I don't have to pick anybody right. up. I don't have to shop. <laughs> where am, where, I can now go. Right. right. So I was given that kind of permission, you know, to, mm-hmm. in a way, to go somewhere else. And this is where I came. But my daughters, um, what was the question? <laughs> do they, do they come visit you? Oh, they did. Like, yes. How, what do they think about the Eastern Sierra? Well, they love the Eastern Sierra. Uh, they just came up last week actually for a couple of days. Um, my youngest daughter, Sydney, uh, is a, both are artists okay. and they actually do that for a living. And she's been on a, a tour on Footloose on a cruise, you know, oh, and cool. she was on there for like eight months and then got two intern, not internships, um, what do you call it? To do like a, a short run performance, mm-hmm. one in Texas for a month and one in Wyoming for a month. Mm-hmm. And so she had a window and now she just got cast as um, uh, Maria in The Sound of Music oh, and will be so doing neat. an Asian tour Very for cool. a year. Wow. So, it, so I won't be seeing her for a while. Wow. Is this talent in the genes? Is this something she inherited from her father, who's a performer? 
I think there might be some of that. I, yeah. I, I don't know how to measure that really. And if it's around you, it becomes easier to see, you know, mm-hmm. well, he can do it. I can do it. You know? yeah, and that's exactly. always, you know, he's on stage. Yeah. Look at all these people. And now he can do it. I can do it. So then maybe there's some of that. Um, but I think it's all, you know, all, as parents, we just have to nurture where pe- where your children, you know, naturally want to be. Yeah. And if right. you can do that in a way that is just, you know, consistent, steady, loving, and just give them the opportunities, they're going to find it. It's interesting that you, that, you know, made me think of a, as a musician, it's like, mm-hmm. did you teach your kids how to play? When did you start p- teaching them? Mm-hmm. Was the piano yeah. first or whatever, mm-hmm. singing, that kind of thing. And I <clears throat> did not have parents who um, insisted that I do do that. I found it, found records on my own. They had a mm-hmm. record player. They had 70 albums or 80 albums or whatever. And as fi- at five years old, I would just play every single one from Pajama Game to Neil Diamond or mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> The Carpenters, right? Right. My two favorites were um, West Side Story and Jesus Grace Superstar, just from their arrangement perspective. Yeah. And it really determined a lot of how I write and arrange to this day because I listened yeah. to it at such a young age. Um, so there was a lot of magic in discovering it for myself. So I made the decision as a parent to say, I'm not going to force learning an instrument. I know it'll help their math skills. I know, you know, right. there's a lot yeah, of positives, yeah. right. but I wasn't going to force it. It was just going to be around their um, programs in their schools from mm-hmm. elementary all the way up had great music programs. So I really didn't have to be that. Hey, you right. can practice. And they actually, um, in their senior year, uh, actually in their high school career, they won uh, four national championships for show choir. Oh, so wow. they sang and dance and, you know, the whole nine. So it's, uh, yeah, so I didn't, cool. I didn't give them, I didn't say play and that kind of thing. I said, you know, it's open to you. And they found it through, you know, hey, we, you want to do theater? Come on in. And I really like this. And I'm like, come maybe play soccer. You know, yeah. <laughs> and I had them both do that for a while because that great. was my right. passion as a kid too. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to throw a curveball here because we've got someone who knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So normally we ask our guests like to recommend a book they're reading or what have you. And we chat a little bit about this before we went on air, John, you and me and Stace. It just occurred to me, I just remembered there's a book coming out. I just kind of want your opinion or thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a music history major for five, 10 minutes in college and I studied a lot of <laughs> history of music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now... There are two books coming out this fall, one by Bob Dylan, The Philosophy of Modern Song. It's coming out in November. And then also coming out, I think, in November by Nick Hornby, of all people, is a book comparing Charles Dickens and Prince, the genius of two, you know, a major writer and a major creative musician. And I cannot wait I to have get my to hands read on that both book. of these books. But it occurs to me, like, we're we're hitting a time when what I consider contemporary music is being studied and looked at with a new lens. Like what's important about modern music, you know, the music that we listen to on KMMT or KRHV, you know? So we got like Bob Dylan coming out with his, his, his thoughts on what modern song is going to be. And I know it's going to get a lot of eyes from a lot of people because they're going to see him as an expert. Do you have any reaction to that or any thoughts about about Bob Dylan writing a book, <laughs> uh, or the, the subject, right? I mean, the subject, I, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, he's one of the most recognized lyricists, maybe of all time, right, yeah. as a songwriter. And so, I think anything that he says is worth worth 
you know, going through. Mm-hmm. For me, what I would take away is how does how does he create? Where does he get his inspiration from? Right. I believe it's like nature and allowing flow, and you know, and I've in my interviews with, for the Jam Frequency Radio Show, mm-hmm. uh, my main thrust really is how do you create? Do you have to a regiment? Do you do it? You know, do you do it every day? Do you have to stand on your head? You know, what are your methods? What's to your creating? process? Yeah. What's your process? Right. Yeah. So I'd be interested to to hear you know his perspective, you know, and, and how he looks at modern music we all have an opinion so yeah why not Bob Dylan's a good, a good opinion to hear yes <laughs> he's entitled to his opinion it's so yeah, interesting right? that you, that you bring him up today because yesterday coincidentally I was listening to a podcast and they were talking it was actually talking about Taylor Swift mm-hmm. but they one of the people um was comparing Taylor Swift to Bob Dylan in that she is a current artist and it'll be interesting to see what you think of this, John, Mm -hmm. that she is a current artist who thinks about her legacy and what her legacy is going to be much in the same way that Dylan always considered what his legacy was going to be. And I, I just thought that was really interesting because I didn't really ever it would have never occurred to me to think that these artists ever consider a legacy. So I'm yeah. just curious what you think about that. And if I wonder if it changed like before they were famous, if they had the same mm-hmm. rule or if they right. became famous and now you've got a big catalog, I just want to be respected on the way right. out kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I would be interested to know that. Big for me, you know, it's like, oh, I grew up saying I gotta I gotta build a house and I want it to be mine, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, but I think we all do. Really, I think maybe their opinions are going to be louder because they're famous. Yeah, because um, um, I think we all want to leave something. I don't know. More, some of us is more, you know, tangible or art. For me, you know, just from my perspective on legacy, I always respected. Um, you know, I'm asked, "What was your favorite song?" You guys, uh-huh. songwriter. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what was it? And for me, it's like it's from an artist that I don't even know, and it was the song "Amazing Grace." Mm-hmm. Right? It's it just. It's not even the song so much as much as it is known by the world and mm-hmm. sung and appreciated and right. loved. The lyrics are poignant. Don't get me wrong. It's not yeah. about bad songwriting or something mm-hmm. like right. that. I mean, Happy Birthday might be on that list too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's well known. You know what I mean? We leave, yeah. we leave something, a legacy. And I thought that that would be kind of the way to go too, where your right. name isn't or your look isn't attached to it. And this is my personal you know, yeah. perspective. But I just do something great, leave it. And then if it's appreciated, then I hope that we'll know on the other side, maybe. I don't know. Right. But just leaving out the door going, I did that. I yeah. feel good about it, whatever that is. Yeah, I think it, I, I, I agree with that. I think what's interesting to me is that there is opportunity, I think probably, I don't know. I'm speaking off the cuff here that Taylor Swift has the ability to have more control over her legacy than perhaps earlier artists mm-hmm. did, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think it is curious. I mean, the proof will be in the pudding in 10, 15, 20 years, whether there, she's still taken as seriously or, or as she wants to be, I guess. Well, I have, I had a hard time with that concept thinking that she's like barely 30 years old and <laughs> what 30 year old thinks about their legacy. You know, they're too busy living. I mean, I have a 30 year old child, so mm-hmm. I know they're too busy living in the moment, you know, and to think that far ahead. But I mean, I know she's an exceptional young woman and maybe she does, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree. How do you know? You know? Yeah. 
<laughs> but I think one of the goals or one of the ideas, if you will, is that if you start with the end in mind, like your epitaph, mm-hmm. and then if you if that's clear to you, then every step that you take along the way is drives you drives you there. Right. So if if her I want to leave this, mm-hmm. you know, whatever right. that might be, yeah. good reputation or great songs or whatever, then she'll get there. And she's maybe just stating, I, this is what, I, I'm, this is important to me. As as somebody, as a musician, as somebody who, you know, listens to music, you know, every single day, mm-hmm. do you think, who do you think is a current artist is right now who is going to have like major staying power, you know? Who's going to be the the Beatles or, right? Don't Elvis? I don't know. I don't know if. Oh, oh you mean like, an older artist? No, no, no. Like a current, a newer, a newer artist. artist that's go that's really, you know, going to stick around for a while. That's a great question. It's the new segment we have. Stump the stump, stump the. Yeah, no, it, it's good. I, I like it. Um, hmm. Well, I have to admit that I don't watch any television, mm-hmm. okay? So I, I'm, I'm not in pop culture right. space. Uh, I do listen to the music, yeah. but I don't necessarily know the backstory of all the artists. Okay. So I don't have that kind of perspective. I guess I see, you know, when I stopped maybe listening, to, or not listening, but watching television, it was like 15 years ago. So maybe Justin Timberlake is still <laughs> in there. And there are other artists where yeah. I hear their music and I hear the credibility of that, of what they're doing. Um, but I, I like this band called Kurungbin. Okay. Um, and I don't know the names of the artists, but, uh, it's just kind of has an old vibe. And I think mm-hmm. that's possibly because I gravitate to yeah. an older sound. Sure. Um, but they're like the Jack, um, uh, Jack White's mm-hmm. who are doing great yeah. things. I think he's on that list too, okay. just being able to be an influencer of music. So those would be my two, I think. Oh, good. Yeah. Thanks. I, mean, I didn't mean to stump. No. You know, I mean, that's a hard question because, you it. know, who knows? Well, I like it. I just like that the mm-hmm. question's happening and not just in our space right here, but, you know, it's obviously with these two books coming out, you mm-hmm. know, I, when I was first listening to Prince in the 80s, I would never have thought that he would ever share page space with Charles Dickens. But, you know, Nick Hornsby saying these are two people who electrified their worlds, right, right in ways that they didn't even really understand. Mm-hmm. And and now that that they're kind of being put together. I'm like, yeah, of course it's Prince. It's, like, of course we great. should be studying. This. And he was so, I think he doesn't get the credit that he's due by everything that he brought to the music industry, not only his own production and his own mm. skill as a musician and a songwriter, but what he did for other artists, other artists you know, yeah. um, he really elevated so many people. I think the, you know, the commonality between all great artists is that they were themselves authentically, mm, right? Right. And they, and they, stayed, they had their own opinion, whether you liked it or not, they were themselves. Right. And, uh, and the artists get most of the attention because it's glorified, right? Right. Uh, so yeah, Prince is way on the list of, of cool. <laughs> well, John DeMaria, uh, you have been yourself on the Oxygen Starved <laughs> podcast. Thanks again for spending time with us. We know you're a very busy person. Thanks, John. I appreciate that very much. Yeah, you guys are <laughs> awesome. Uh, thanks to Oxygen Starved podcast. Keep it going. Yeah, Thank you. Guys you guys are doing a great job. We're breathing we're, as fast as we can. We're going to do our best. <laughs> we really appreciate your time today. And listeners, we appreciate your time as well, joining us for this episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast. Please remember you can find us on our Instagram account at O2Starved or our website, Oxygen Starved Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, hear what music you're listening to these days. 
And in the meantime, take care. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.